Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Hey, everybody. Great show today. And let's face it, by now, that is, uh, that's absolutely meaningless. Uh, you know it, and I know it. And frankly, that's a, a, a real disservice. Uh, to my guest today, my former colleague, John Tester, a senior senator from Montana, because this finally is a show from the American heartland, from the only working farmer in the U.S. Senate, and a guy who can teach Democrats how to get back the, the rural voters we've lost since the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then a little into the 80s uh, when the FDR Rural Democrats slowly aged off of this planet. Um, but first, a few thoughts on uh, the debate on Thursday. First of all, I, I love that commentators thought that Trump was, you know, quite good. <laughs> and that, of course, was grading on a curve uh, from the shit show in Cleveland. But he was awful in Nashville. Um, in a bit, I'm going to play uh, a little from his answer in health care. But my God, the Hunter Biden stuff, which um, came through Giuliani, uh, through Russia, just embarrassing. Now, uh, if you were following the lead up to the debate, you probably heard uh, a number of times that Trump was going to take a whole new approach, which would include what was billed as self-deprecating humor. Now, I, I sort of like the idea in uh, this incredibly high-stakes debate of him trying out something he had never used in his 74 years. Self-deprecation combined with humor. So I was looking forward to that. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, deprecating vitriol, uh, but no uh, self-deprecating humor. Uh, so, uh, healthcare. Now, you remember when he was running in 16, Donald Trump said he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare and replace it with something, quote, terrific. Uh, and then when uh, McCain did the thumbs down, he uh, said, who knew healthcare? was so complicated. And the answer to that, of course, is everybody, you putts, except you. Now, his responses on health care have been so comically lame from 2015 to this day. So I'm going to play his entire uh, two-minute answer on health care. It is so vacuous, so lacking in anything that it is actually almost entertaining that a guy who has been president this long knows nothing. Here we go. First of all, I've already done something that nobody thought was possible. Through the legislature, I terminated the individual mandate. That is the worst part of Obamacare, as we call it. The individual mandate where you have to pay a fortune for the privilege of not having to pay for bad health insurance. I terminated. It's gone. Now it's in court because Obamacare is no good. But then I made a decision. Run it as well as you can to my people, great people. Run it as well as you can. I could have gone the other route and made everybody very unhappy. They ran it. Uh, premiums are down. Everything's down. Here's the problem. No matter how well you run it, it's no good. What we'd like to do is terminate it. We have the individual mandate done. 
I don't know that it's going to work. If we don't win, we will have to run it and we'll have Obamacare, but it'll be better run. But it no longer is Obamacare because without the individual mandate, it's much different. Pre-existing conditions will always stay. What I would like to do is a much better health care, much better, will always protect people with pre-existing. So I'd like to terminate Obamacare, come up with a brand new, beautiful health care. The Democrats will do it because there'll be tremendous pressure on them, and we might even have the House by that time, and I think we're going to win the House, okay? You'll see, but I think we're going to win the House. But come up with a better health care, always protecting people with pre-existing conditions. And one thing very important, we have 180 million people out there that have great private health care far more than we're talking about with Obamacare. Joe Biden is going to terminate all of those policies. These are people that love their health care, people that have been successful, middle-income people, been successful. They have 180 million plans, 180 million people, families. Under what he wants to do, which will basically be socialized medicine, he won't even have a choice, they want to terminate 180 million plans. We have done an incredible job on health care, and we're going to do even better. Okay, uh, that was the mute button. Part of the news going in was that they were going to use a mute button. That was the only time they used it. <laughs> and not because he was over. They just couldn't stand how dumb the answer was. Uh, this was an astoundingly bad debate performance. The only reason any commentator said anything good about his performance was just, you know, grading on a curve from the horror show in Cleveland. Okay, uh, back to uh, this today's podcast. John Tester and I were colleagues. Uh, I represented uh, Minnesota, where one out of six jobs is related to agriculture. I'm a member of the uh, Democratic Farmer Labor Party. And John is the only working farmer in the Senate right now. And he's written a new book, Grounded, A Senator's Lessons on Winning Back Rural America. And uh, we will discuss exactly that, winning back uh, rural America. Speaking of which, there is an open house seat up in Montana. And, and pay attention here for, for a second. Um, the only way President Trump doesn't steal this election is if he can't. And one very possible scenario is that this gets decided in the House of Representatives, where each state gets one vote. California gets one vote. Wyoming gets one vote. And right now, the state delegations in the House of Representatives, Republicans have 26, the majority in 26, Democrats have 23, and there's one tied. So we need to pick up two, and there's there's opportunities in a number of states in Florida, elsewhere. But this is an opportunity. If, if we can flip the, the one house seat in Montana, that's huge. So Kathleen Williams is the Democrat in the race in Montana. This is one of the most competitive races in the country. She's running against a right-wing extremist. And again, this could be where the presidency is decided. So I'd like you to contribute to KathleenForMontana.com. KathleenForMontana.com. It's all words. No four is F-O-R. Let's dump some money there. It just could be the most efficient dollars we spend to get Donald Trump out of office. Also go to AlFranken.com and we'll have the link up for you there. We, of course, hope it doesn't get to that, that it is all over on November 3rd. Uh, but there are a uh, crap load of traps along the way. And my next podcast will be about all the ways that they will try to steal this if they can. And it's pretty harrowing stuff. Okay, let's go now to uh, my interview with uh, John Tester. And um, it's a great one. It's a great one. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts 
to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How's the book doing? Do you know? Is it out yet? It's, it's out. It was, it, it was released the 15th of September. And I've got to tell you, I don't know how it's doing. I can't find that out. And I don't want to pester people at the publisher, but maybe I should. If you can't find out how it's doing, yeah, it's not doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably the truth. Sorry to break the news to you, but that's, yeah. you know, that's the senator's book. Most senator's books suck. My, uh, ironically now titled, uh, Al Franken giant of the Senate was my fourth number one New York times bestseller. You're a wizard, Al. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just a flat wizard. It helps to be funny. Yeah. And interesting. It's true. I'm giving you shit here, man. It really is a, a, a terrific, a fascinating book. It's called Grounded, a Senator's Lessons on Winning Back Rural America. And we're going to talk a lot about that, on, on Winning Back Rural America. John, of course, is the senior senator from the great state of Montana. I, I came out there early on uh, in my Senate career to do the, what, what what's it called, the Case Dinner? It's the Mansfield-Metcalf Dinner, the equivalent of the oh, there. I was close, Jackson huh? Dinners. Yeah, no, Mansfield-Metcalf. So, yeah. and, and I did my impression of Bacchus. Do you remember that? It was a big hit. In fact, people were crying. They were laughing so hard because it was so doggone good. Now, let me explain that Max Baucus uh, at that time was a senior senator from Montana and chairman of the very, very powerful chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. And he was, I don't know, what would you say? Uh, what did I capture? Uh, an oddness, would you say? Yeah, Max has got a peculiar way of speaking. Uh, he still does. Nothing wrong with it. I, I think we each do. But, but I had never heard anybody that was able to capture that peculiar way of speaking. You did it. Mm -hmm. You did it. I, that's called talent. <laughs> Skills. I'm going to give you shit this whole time, okay? <laughs> that's all right. I can take it, I think. I, I know you can. And that's because uh, you're grounded. Yeah. I mean, the, tr the truth is, is I was very fortunate, Al, because I was, uh, was born to parents who were in agriculture, and not everybody has that, has that opportunity. And, and agriculture has a tendency, at least from my perspective, to keep you grounded, keeps you on dead center. First of all, you're literally tilling the ground. That's right. So there's that. Yeah. But you know why I wasn't? Uh, I didn't grow up with parents who were farmers because we're Jewish and they didn't let us own land. Okay. In Europe. Well, <laughs> your people did not let us own land. Is that right? What is tester? It's, 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 I believe it's English. Uh, although I have oh, not yeah. done the, the me and 23 or whatever you call it thing, but uh, I know my mother's side of the family is, is Swedish. Uh, both her oh. mother and father were Swedes. Her name was Pearson, her maiden name. And oh, then, yeah. And then, oh, sure. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, she was up in the Red River Valley there, up there near Fargo, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Oh, that, no. Now, Fargo. 
you know, the movie Fargo, people don't under, know this necessarily, that Fargo is in North Dakota, right? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I love that you went, yes. It was a little slightly <laughs> irritated, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, and 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 your people came from the Red River Valley of the North, is what it's called. And that's there's this Red River, and it, it, it forms the border of uh, North Dakota and and Minnesota up there. And on the Minnesota side is, is Moorhead and the area floods. Over. Okay, maybe you don't know that because uh, you were in, in Big Sandy growing up. Montana. You, when did they leave the Red River Valley and go to Montana? They left it about 1910. Um, my grandfather came out and scouted the area where they were opening up to homesteading. Uh, west of Big Sandy, and uh, and he liked it. He said the grass was as tall as the belly of the horse. They must add some wet years, and thought that that was pretty good. And 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 by the way, it has been. I mean, we've been able to survive there for over a hundred years. So it, he was smart. Went back. And, and what helped. do you grow to tell the folks what you grow? Well, I mean, we converted organics in the eighties, uh, and so we had to diverse fire rotation to deal with weeds and pests and those kind of things. So we still raise a fair amount of grain, which is what really built that area. And then we raised some pulse crops like lentils and peas and. And then uh, typically raise some oil seeds. Usually that's safflower. And then we have some some hay we put in. Uh, I, I usually have a fair amount of hay. Uh, I usually try to have about 160 acres. I'm a little low on that this year. You are the only working farmer in the Senate. Is yeah. that correct? I mean, yeah. I mean, Grassley may argue with you, but but the truth is, is we're, we actually do it. We My kids aren't doing it. My, my grandkids aren't doing it. Uh, Charlotte and I, my wife and I are doing it, and uh, it keeps me sane. It keeps me grounded. I mean, truthfully, it's, uh, you know this, Al, the the Senate can be pretty artificial, and uh, agriculture is anything but artificial. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the other colleagues can be jerks. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, you know, it happens occasionally. Yes, it does. Yes. Uh, Let me ask about the process of going organic. Does that take a number of years? That takes a number of years, right? Yeah, it does. It takes uh, it takes three years to be off of any sort of pesticides or water soluble fertilizers, chemical fertilizers, and then you're supposed to start with putting in some soil building plants. That's where the pulse crops come in. That's where the peas and alfalfa come in, uh, both legumes. And uh, okay, now I'm right away. I'm thinking it's so hard to believe this book isn't jumping off the shelves. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a great book. It's, it's great. And it, it does. I got have to just tell everybody that uh, John is very grounded and it's an apropos title. And yes, he goes uh, weekends back and, and farms. And then during the, we have a break in the summer and you must uh, take a break in the uh Spring planting, right? Typically, you get three days off. Usually, you have a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if the if you can hit the flights right. And uh, then Easter flows in there, and so you can get the spring work done. And in August, we're out for the whole month usually, and that's when harvest is for us in north central Montana. So it, it works out. The Senate schedule actually works out very well if you're in agriculture in Montana. Now they don't let you like be a practicing lawyer or a practicing doctor but they do let you be a, a, a farmer in the Senate. Yeah, I think it, it goes back to when the country was established as a very agrarian society, and they, they allowed farmers to do both. But you know what you can do? You can write books. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now uh, if people don't, if, if they're trying to get a word picture of John, when you see John, if you don't know John from his voice and you don't know the Senate that well, if you see John on TV and you go, oh, there, that's John Tester because he's got the crew cut, right? Yes, correct. Yes, yeah. John is the senator with a crew cut. And let's talk about the most impressive part of, of John Tester is the three fingers missing. <laughs> yeah, that's, some would say that, all right. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it's true. Uh, my, my folks had a, a butcher shop on the farm that they set up and cut meat in their basement in the 50s to help diversify their income and then built a butcher shop in the early 60s. And I was helping my mother bone out a front quarter of beef. My dad had broke it down into steaks and roasts and burger and he got ready to grind the burger. I said, I wanted to grind it. And my mother said, nah, you don't need to grind that. I'll do it. And I talked her into it and, and end up uh, sticking my hand in the throat of the grinder and 
and end up losing three fingers. I was very, very lucky because that grinder was brand new and it, it sheared the fingers off instead of sucking my arm in, which it could have very easily and it, and it would have if the same accident would happen today. I still use that grinder and it's, it's you know, three quarters wore out. How old were you? I was nine and, uh, and it might sound like it's young, but, you know, at nine years old, I was driving field tractor and driving a baler and doing all sorts of things. You, you just did that. You know, I, I, I said this to somebody. I said, you know, when I was a kid, I never thought much about it. And, and when I wrote this doggone book, and particularly when I read the book, it wasn't me as a kid anymore. It was me as a parent looking at me as a kid. And it was tough. I mean, it was really hard because my mother had, we never talked about it. She passed away in 2009. So she saw me as a U.S. Senator, but we never, ever talked about that accident. We never talked about it. There's a really moving story in the book. Yeah. Just something that really just gives me chills, even as I'm bringing it up, which is your parents were arguing about it. They were having a good old-fashioned scrap with one another, arguing about it. And, and I think it was my dad brought up, you know, the, the meat grinder accident. And I was, I was there uh, standing, you know, as a kid watching my folks in this argument. And, and when my dad brought it up, I knew it was, it was unfair. And, and I interceded in the argument as a 10-year-old at that moment in time and said, you guys argue about any damn thing you want, but you're never going to argue about this hand, ever. And the argument was over. And it was it was one of those situations where I was the adult and they were the kids, you know. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, is that was it. And they never did after that, ever, 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 ever brought it up. And maybe that's why I, I never had a chance to talk about it, because it's one of the things I regret, even though, you know, I was well into my 50s when my mom passed. It, it would have been it would have been nice just to have the conversation with her. And, you know, because I, I blame nobody for that except myself. I was the one that screwed up here. And I know as a parent, you, you never ever look at it that way. If your kid gets in an accident and you're there, you always think, oh, what, what you could have done differently. But the truth of the matter is, is that I wanted to grind that meat. She let me do it because that's why we did it on the farm. You know, I mean, kids, kids work and end up being a, a very bad accident. And, and I know she, she probably carried it internally. She lived to be 89 plus, so she lived a good life. But the truth is, is that I know she, she probably carried a, a weight with her that, that I probably could have helped relieve, uh, even though she never spoke about it. Now, when I was there with you in the Senate, right away, I would just put my thumb and pinky up to my, my face, uh, my pinky up to my mouth, my thumb up to the ear, which was me saying, give me a call. <laughs> right? Yeah, I always knew it. Al wanted to chat because he uh, he fold the three fingers in and, uh, yeah, you know, stick them up to his mouth. And, uh, in fact, I'm doing that right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want you to give me a call. It was, a, it was my way of saying, you've only got two fingers on there. <laughs> You got a thumb and a pinky, and I'm making a joke. And <laughs> That's good. That's good. That was a bonding experience. It was. It was good. You know, it was good. <laughs> and the subtitle of this is a senator's lessons on winning back rural America. So, uh, you know, Minnesota, one out of six jobs in Minnesota is tied to ag. So I um, grew up in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. And so when I started running for office. The first farm group I met with, I think was a uh, farmer's union group. And I said to them, I grew up in St. Louis Park. Growing up, I knew nothing about farming. In fact, when I was eight years old, and you asked me, where does food come from? Guess what I would have said? And what do you think they said? You probably said a grocery store or a carton. Yeah. They all said the grocery store. And I said, no, I, I would have said it, it comes from the farm because I wasn't an idiot. You, you're correct. It does come from farms. Yes. And, and I would always get a big laugh. And at a certain point in my, uh, my years in the Senate, every farmer in Minnesota heard that joke. And I couldn't, I had to use them only on national groups. 
If there's one thing about the ag movement that, that I think is real, real positive is it is connected the consumer with the farmer. And I think we've, we had lost that in conventional agriculture. And I think they're trying to get it back even in conventional agriculture now, because truth is, is that we don't raise commodities on farms. We raise food. Well, in Minnesota, you raise a lot of commodities, though, too. I mean, the corn and soy, a lot of the corn goes to feeding livestock. You have cattle, right? I used to. No, I don't. I don't have any. You got to be there morning and night for cattle, or you have to. I see. I see. Count their feet and divide by four because they'll tip over. But when you were a kid, you did, right? We raised cattle until I got elected to this job. You just I have see. to be there every day for livestock. You just have to be there, or, or something will go wrong. I guarantee it. There you and go. And also, you might know John because he's well. We were on Indian Affairs together, right? Yes, we were. Thank you. You came up to Red Lake. Yes, we did. Uh, yes. Uh, a reservation up in, in northern Minnesota. Yeah. Thank you for doing that when you were chairman. Yeah. Did you find that as maybe the most depressing committee to be on? Well, man, they got a lot of challenges. And you know what they say about challenges? There's lots of opportunity. And I'm going to tell you that they have a lot of challenges based mostly on poverty. And, and you know, poverty, it goes through every walk of of life. It goes through the school systems. It goes through businesses. It goes through work and families. And you're right. It was, it's very challenging because they've been in poverty for a long time and figuring out the keys to get them out of poverty is always a challenge and, and making sure the tribes can be a big part of the decision-making because they have to be is always a challenge. It's, it's, it's a big part of it though. And I've seen successful tribes and I've seen successful folks come out of tribes that are, have a high unemployment and very difficult uh, conditions. My first meeting, I declared for the Senate on February 14th, and my first meeting with the tribe was up in near Duluth at Fond du Lac. Uh, Karen Diver, chairwoman of the tribe, said to me, normally we don't see anyone until like a month before the election. And why are you here? <laughs> I said, well, Paul Wellstone was on the Indian Affairs Committee, and I want to be on the Indian Affairs Committee, and I want to learn. And uh, I was on Indian Affairs, and some of that was some of my most meaningful work. And we, we passed an Indian health bill the first uh, year I was there. Yep. It's, it's an amazing committee because it is, you're, you're exactly right, Al. It's very, very hard work, very, very challenging because, you know, you've got, you've got sovereignty, you've got self-determination, you've got very, very proud people, and just a whole lot of challenges. Now, your junior senator, Steve Daines, is also on Indian Affairs, and I have to say I am uh, not a big fan of his. Uh, that's an understatement. And he is the cycle running for re-election against your, your governor, Steve Bullock. And Steve is a great guy. Yep. Steve Bullock. One of the things he did in Montana, and this is partly what I want to talk about in terms of winning rural America, Right when Obamacare hit, he got his state legislature, your state legislature, to pass Medicaid expansion. That's right. Yeah, and not not an easy task because our legislature's about 60% Republican. But he got it done. Yep. And then the, there was a legislative session that, do you have sessions every year or every, every two years? Every, our, our legislative sessions occur on uh, for, for 90 days, odd years after the elections. Now, Governor Bullock, led the effort to get Medicaid expansion adopted in, in Montana. I think they originally passed it in 15 and then had to re-up it in 19. Now, the reason 2019 was significant is that because Steve was governor, Bullock was governor, he was there for the session and stayed there and did his job as governor and got that Medicaid expansion renewed. And because he did that, he could not go out and raise money. And because he could not go out and raise money to run for president, which is what he was going to do, he didn't meet the threshold to be in the first debate. Remember that? That's correct. Which is just stupid. And it's patently unfair. The fact of the matter is he was doing his job and he got penalized for it. And I think that's too bad. And I think he would have been an excellent candidate. And I think we were poorer for not having him in the race. But I'm, I'm hoping and we'll be very glad if he, if he becomes the second Democratic senator from there. It's, a, it's, it's, it's good news and bad news. The bad news is, is he wasn't able to continue in the, in the presidential. The good news is, is that he decided, and actually it was 
through his wife that he decided to to run for the Senate. I mean, it was really a family decision that they made to run. And I think that's true of anybody who's running for the United States Senate. If, if you don't have your spouse with you, it makes it really difficult to win. And, and I think she pushed him over the edge and said, you need to do this. Your country needs you. And he's run a hell of a campaign. He's run a really good campaign, Steve Bullock has, and he deserves to win. But we'll see what happens. I think he will. But, but who knows? Uh, election day is the 3rd of November, and we'll know shortly thereafter. And Sharla, your wife, was just dead set against you. Uh, initially, she was. Uh, she was. Was she? She was, indeed. She was. She She initially did not want to go any further than the state legislature. It was actually my kids, uh, Sean and Christine, uh, in particular, that uh, that influenced uh, Sharla. And then once, once my wife got in, she was in 100%, and there was no looking back. Okay, we're going to take a, a short break. We'll be right back with Senator John Tester. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with uh, Senator John Tester of Montana. Uh, let's keep talking about uh, winning back rural America, Democrats winning back rural America, because we, we've had times where populists were yep. very, very big in rural America, right? Yep, absolutely. No, I mean, look, when I was growing up, Al, in the, in the 60s and, and even into the 70s, where, where I was raised was very Democrat. And and I think we've only had two Republican senators, maybe three now with Danes, uh, since, since the beginning of our state since our state began, since statehood came. And so it's been Democrat because it, because of FDR. FDR saved agriculture in our state, saved the family farm. And the you know, the kids who were born during the depression remember that. And those those kids were my parents. But but then things started to change and and now it's 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 a deep red where I live. If I uh, people call up and say, you know, how's Biden doing uh, where you're at? And uh, and look, Joe's gonna get some votes in Montana, but when I look out the window of my tractor, I don't see many votes for Joe. And it's not because Joe's not a good guy. It's because I don't think Democrats have spoken to rural America. You know this, being from Minnesota, you've got to show up and you've got to not talk to them, but listen to them and and find out what's on their mind and then try to respond to their issues. And and I think it's really important. And, and what I say is, look, if, if you walked into the Peps Bar in Big Sandy, Montana, and said, you know what, I want to make sure you got the best public school out there, everybody go, hey, man, thanks. That's what I want, too. Or or if they say, you know, that little hospital you've got, we want to make sure you've got good, accessible, affordable health care, and that that hospital's around for a while. They say, you damn right, that's that's what we want, and that's what we we want that. Or they say, you know, we want you to take care of your veterans to make sure your veterans have the benefits that they've earned by serving this country. They'd all agree. And or you want good infrastructure, we need to make sure you got broadband and good highways and roads and waters. Those are all things Democrats fight for every single day, and that's why I say. If you show up and you talk and you listen first, though, I mean, I think you have two ears and one mouth, act accordingly. Listen first and then and then talk about what your vision is based on what they've told you. I think there's an opportunity to get a lot of votes. I, I really do. As I said, one out of six jobs in Minnesota is tied to agriculture. I was very proud in my second race 
I got the endorsement of the Farmers Union, which is sort of the progressive farmers. There's a smaller group than the Farm Bureau. But the Farm Bureau, no endorsement, which was a victory because they always endorse the Republican. But I knew I wasn't on ag on the Ag Committee, but I made it my business to learn that. And that's why this Joni Ernst thing, <laughs> uh, Joni Ernst, who is uh, running for re-election, the Republican in, in Iowa, was in a debate and did not know the commodity prices, didn't know the price of, of soybeans. I might have missed it, but I don't think you answered my question. What's the break-even price for soybeans in Iowa? You grew up on a farm. You should know this. Uh, I think you had asked about corn, and I, it depends uh, no, on. I asked her corn. It depends on what the field. inputs are, but probably about five fifty. Well, you're a couple of dollars off, I think, here because it's ten oh five. So, well, we'll move on to something else. Then. And well, I yeah. and. And well, I don't think Ms. Greenfield this. answered either. Uh, she actually did. With the price of corn, we'd ask for the price of soybeans from you, Senator. You want to take another crack at it? <laughs> no, thank you. Boy, oh boy, you don't make that mistake. Not when it's part of your brand. That's for darn sure. I mean. And not when the price of commodities of corn and soybeans has dropped through the floor yep. because of president trump's trade war That's, with china you can't blame this one on COVID. COVID hasn't helped but the trade war is what got it all started and it's so what happens when you go into a trade war and you don't have a plan that people will end up suffering for it in this particular case of the folks in agriculture and what impacts corn and soy impacts wheat and barley and and impacts all of agriculture and it's why we're why we're seeing agriculture really, really, really struggling across this country right now. It's why we're seeing a lot of taxpayers' dollars go out the door to help people in production agriculture because the prices are so horrible. In fact, in fact, how, how much money in aid has gone to farmers? Because farmers are losing their operations. We have, yep. have had farmers in Minnesota committing suicide. Every farmer I have talked to this year in Minnesota had their worst year ever, had yep. their worst year ever. And then the federal government sent, what, tens of billions, how many billions to farmers that, that doesn't make them whole at all? Not at all. But when you lose, China is the biggest market, isn't it, for coin and soybeans and other ag products, right? Well, I, I don't know if it's the biggest market or not, Al. I can't say that. But I can tell you that every market is an important market in agriculture. And if we don't have exports, we are sunk. I'm talking about we, the family farmer, doesn't have exports. We are sunk. And, and, and the impacts on family farms going broke, those long-term impacts on rural America, uh, the societal problems that are created are really, really, really horrible. I mean, suicide rates among farmers right now is really, really, really high because egg prices are really, really, really low. And when you get to start to balance the books and the books don't balance and you're faced with selling a farm that may be in the farm, may have been in the family for three, four, five, six generations, that can do strange things to your mind. I'll just tell you that. And so, and it's all based on the fact that we don't have those export markets that we once had. And you're exactly right, Al, we're getting checks from the federal government, but they don't make us whole. Not at all. Not at all. And, and here is something I hear the president say every once in a while, and I just, I listen for it. So I've heard, I hear it every once in a while. I do hear it. The last time I heard it was at the Republican convention. One of the things he said was, we've gotten tens of billions of dollars in tariffs from the Chinese. Have you ever heard him say that? Yeah, I've heard him say it. Yeah. Okay. We haven't gotten a dime. No, it's all paid by for the consumer. Consumer pays every dime of it. L let me explain just for our listeners who may not know this, how tariffs work. Let's say uh, Best Buy is buying Chinese TVs, okay? So there's a tariff on Chinese TVs as part of the trade war, okay? Who pays that tariff? Not the Chinese, Best Buy pays for it. And Best Buy will pass that on to their customers so suddenly Chinese TVs are more expensive than South Korean TVs, right? And so people start buying less Chinese TVs. That's the whole purpose of the tariff. And a, a trade war is to put pressure on them. Oh, we can't sell our TVs. Well, we don't produce many TVs in America. We produce a hell of a lot of grain. 
And one of our, if not our biggest market, is China. So China retaliates by not taking our egg products. And those bins are now full. Yeah. And the price shoots down. And farmers lose their operations. And right, these are operations that have been in the family for generations. Yep. So if we want to win back rural America, to me, there are two things to talk about this cycle. And that is the trade war with China and the other is Medicaid expansion. I, w- I, w- I would not disagree with that at all. I think that's absolutely correct. Healthcare and, and basic economics. And that's that's about the trade war with China. You know, Sam Allen, you, you probably covered this in some of your programs, but the Republican Party of today that, that doesn't want trade, that is in bed with Russia, Putin in particular, that badmouths the military by calling the people who liberated Europe suckers and losers, I just can't figure it out. I can't, I, I just can't figure out where they're going. Uh, because uh, there's a few that have stood up. The former governor of Montana, Republican Governor Mark Roscoe, has said, I'm voting for Biden. Uh, we have a secretary of state in Montana, Republican, that said, I'm going to vote for Biden. But what are these guys thinking about? I mean, it, this isn't their party. To, to be uh, in, in, you know, and look up to every, every despot in the world, you know, whether it's Putin or Erdogan or Xi or Kim Jong-un is crazy. And not to have trade is crazy. And the fact is, is that these trade wars have not worked out. You can talk about signing a USMCA, but the benefits to that, the uncertainty that he brought forth compared to the benefits that that brought are are crazy. And and we didn't see much of a benefit in agriculture at all, maybe a little in dairy, but but not much. And, And the agreement with China is totally bogus anyway. They're not doing much. He talks about all this stuff that's going on, but nothing's nothing's really moving. And that's a problem. So instead of getting tens of billions in tariffs from from China, which he says we have, and we haven't. And I don't know if it's he's lying or he doesn't know how tariffs work or both. I mean, that's (laughs) usually when that choice. (laughs) Is he lying or doesn't know what he's talking about? Uh, It's both. (laughs) So let's go to rural health now and Medicaid expansion. And I've also talked about this. Medicaid expansion, the last five states, my listeners have heard this a number of times, but the last five states to pass by referendum Medicaid uh, expansion are Idaho, Nebraska, Utah, Oklahoma, and Missouri. Went up for a vote. The people of those states wanted Medicaid expansion. Why? Because it helps rural hospitals so much. Because if you're a rural hospital, you're you're paying for a lot of uncompensated care. People come into your emergency room and don't have insurance. But when there's Medicaid expansion, a lot more people have insurance. There's a lot less uncompensated care. And suddenly, the hospital has a lot more money. And they can hire more doctors. And they can hire more nurses. And they can hire more technicians and technology and expand their scope of care. And suddenly the county hospital or the hospital becomes the biggest employer in the county. And, and, and that's a fact. I mean, they can pay their bills and they don't risk closing. The, the little town I'm from and just about every little town in Montana and probably in Minnesota too, our hospital was built in 1965, about 50 years after the homesteaders came. And many of these hospitals, especially in the states that don't have Medicaid expansion, they're in trouble, big time trouble. And for the president to be suing in court right now as we speak to take away the ACA and take away Medicaid expansion and take away pre-existing conditions is another area where I think we could make uh, make some hay in rural America. We really should. And at the Coney Barrett hearing, Lindsey Graham said, uh, well, you know, California and New York get, you know, more money per person than we do. Well, that's because South Carolina is one of the states that hasn't taken Medicaid expansion. That's correct. And then he also said, we've lost two rural hospitals. Well, that's why. That's right. You moron. That's exactly why. 
hospitals are like any other business. If if people are using the service and not able to pay for that service, that charity care will take you out if you get too much of it. It's exactly what it is. In rural America, where you have a price of wheat or a price of grain that's in the tank, whether it's corn or soy or, or wheat. And so now, now you've got a communities that are up against it financially. And now you get somebody that gets sick, they go to that hospital, they can't pay their bills, they don't have Medicaid expansion to be able to drop back on if you have very low income. And, and, you, and you can see how the dominoes start to tip pretty damn fast. And not one senator on that damn committee, it's a committee I used to be on, none, none of them said, that, Lindsay, you know why <laughs> you've lost those rural hospitals? And you know why you aren't getting as much money back as states that have taken Medicaid expansion? Because you're leaving money on the table and you're hurting your people. Yeah. And if you look at the states who haven't taken it, yeah. it's South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about veterans. Yes. I I did a lot of USO tours and I was in... Uh, I remember I was in on one tour where we had a, some country musicians who played uh, Sweet Home Alabama, and they would always ask at, at the end or at the beginning, how many here from Alabama? And there'd be a lot of guys from Alabama and women. And I remember we were at uh, Anaconda, Camp Anaconda in Balad, Iraq. I think it was the biggest base. And uh, I was the MC, so I remember they said, how many here from Alabama? It was like a roar. And then I, I went out and I said, how many here from the Upper West Side of Manhattan? <laughs> and there weren't many. You know, there were a lot of guys, a lot of men and women from rural Minnesota, too. Yep. And from rural Montana. So when you have a president who calls people who volunteer or who fight losers and suckers, I think that's another reason that it should be easier to persuade Montanans and Nebraskans and people in Kansas, whatever they're called, Kansans. I guess. Kansans, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I should have known. Iowans, I know that one. Minnesotans. And on veterans, you're ranking on veterans, right? That's correct, yes. And if we take the Senate back, you'll be chair of that? That would be my guess, yes. Yeah, yeah. Veterans should be incredible. It should be completely bipartisan. I would think. And you yeah. work with Johnny Isaacson. He was your chairman, right? Yeah. John, Johnny, until Johnny retired at the beginning of this year because of Parkinson's, was a, was a principal guy and good to work with. And, it, and by the way, Jerry guy. Moran now is the chairman of that committee, Al, and, and he's, he's very, very good to work with, too. I've had a good relationship with, with Jerry Moran for a long time also, and it's, it's so far so good. I mean, for the last year, we've worked very, very well together. In fact, just uh, this last week, got the John Scott Hannon mental health care bill passed, and and uh, and Jerry Jerry and I have sponsored that bill together, and it it does a lot of really good things for mental health for our veterans, and gives the VA some tools in their toolbox. But the bottom line is, is you're right, veterans should always be a, a bipartisan, nonpartisan, however you want to put it. The Republicans and Democrats should never enter that picture. Now, one of the great veterans that I served with in the Senate it was Daniel Inouye. Yep. And uh, I will never forget his funeral in Hawaii on Oahu, and you played taps. I did. It was uh, one of the highest honors I've ever had the ability uh, to do. I felt bad for the for the the soldier that was supposed to play taps because Danny Inouye is such a such a legend in in this country and especially in Hawaii and. And uh, I got to tell you an interesting story about that. We were going to the the funeral at the Punch Bowl, and we were we were all in a van. And and uh, one of the folks in the military said, "How long is it going to take you to to play taps?" And so I kind of hummed it out in my head, and I can't remember what I said. Thirty seven, thirty eight seconds. I said, "Why do you want to know?" And he says, "Because we were having a flyover that's going to go over the top of us the minute you get done, the second you get done playing taps." So I start playing taps, and I, I did that all through junior high and high school, and then played a number after I got out, a number of funerals after I got out of high school. But I started playing it, and and I could hear something, and my eyes were shut when I started. And so I looked up, and I could see on the horizon the jets coming, and I thought, "Wow, 
I wonder if I'm going to have to speed this up to get this done before they get here. <laughs> but I didn't because I don't want to, you know, it's got to be done right. And uh, the second I finished, those those planes went over the top. And it was, well, I mean, you were there, Al. It was, it was chilling. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And you would have played the sax if you hadn't. Those fingers were there, would you? That was, that was the plan. I was going to be a sax player, yeah, but uh, you got to have 10 fingers to play sax, and, I, and those three fingers missing on my left hand screwed that up. I blame your mom. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Don't tell her. Uh, in a way, a great, unbelievable guy. Actually, why don't you tell Dan's World War II story? Well, the one, uh, the one that I heard was in the – in the ante room, he was, he, he, you know, he was missing an arm. And that's no small thing, especially, you know, back in World War II. He was in some sort of room and they were given last rites to the soldiers that were there because they were all in pretty tough shape. And uh, the minister, the priest uh, came over to give him last rites. And he said, I, don't give me any last rites. He says, I'm not ready to go yet. And uh, tough, tough bird, I'll tell you that. And he was in the Nisei, is that how you pronounce it, unit? Yeah. I think so, yes. All Japanese, right? Yep, yep, correct. You write about it in the book, but tell us what he, he's a Medal of Honor winner, and what he did. He was in Italy and and um, and was fighting, and he, you know, he, he got shot up pretty bad, and he kept fighting, he kept going, kept running up the hill and kept going, and, uh, you know, he, he lost, I can't remember which arm it was, and he moved the gun to the other hand and, and kept going, and another story he told in the cloakroom, and they, they, when he came out of his anesthetic, they said, you know, geez, this is what you did, and he said, that wasn't me, he said, that guy had to be crazy, uh, but, but he was a true war hero, and somebody that was uh, amazingly gifted as a lawmaker too. He had the ability to bring people together because he, you know, he had that Hawaiian style of, you know, mm-hmm. really kind of soft and easy going. But he was amazing. And when I when I when I won in 2012, and he passed away shortly after that election. I think he passed away in December after that November election. He uh, he he sent me a note and said that he stayed up all night long. None of my elections have been called election. I think I was been called the next day. He said he stayed up all night long, and, and the next day when you won, he said I, I could sleep then. So he's he's a, he, he was an amazing man and incredible honor to to know him as he served in the United States Senate. Him and there's been a number of them. I mean, you know, there's there's him. And of course, Teddy Kennedy was amazing, and the old guard that were here when I first got here that. Uh, generationally turned out on us. It's too bad because they were great people. John, thanks for thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed the book, uh, Grounded: a, a Senator's Lessons on Winning Back Rural America. Well, I mean, you know, I think in the end, this is this is kind of my my view of of how Democrats can do better in places where we haven't done so well in the last uh, twenty years. And I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunity there if we if we show up and, and and we're smart. Because you know, and I, I hate to say this, this is unique to rural America because I think urban America figures it out pretty pretty quick too. But uh, rural America is also a place where they can they can pick out something that isn't right pretty damn quick. And I, you know, you brought up the Joni Ernst thing uh, about agriculture, but but I always see people come in, you know, and they want to be a farmer, so they buy a new Levi jacket and a pair of buckskin gloves and you know the amazing thing is is that people in rural america look at that and go this guy is really ain't one of us and you and i both know if 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 they ever get that point across if you ain't one of us you got a real problem well they would never mistake you of not being one of them i would hope not because i am (laughs) yeah who knows you really are well john um this is this is a lot of fun as always uh, we always had a, a good time working together in the Senate and uh, love the book. What I'd just like to say for the for the world to hear is that I got the unique opportunity to serve with some great senators. And when I talked about, we talked about Danny Inouye and we talked about Teddy Kennedy and we talked about a, a number of others. But Al Franken in my book is uh, right in that list, right amongst the top. Uh, Al is one of the smartest uh, members that I ever served with. In fact, uh, it could be argued that he's maybe the smartest member I ever served with. He had 
has the ability to interweave comedy into very serious subjects, which helps relieve tension. And it's good. And there was issues that came up a few years back, and it resulted in Al feeling uh, like he should resign because, quite frankly, uh, there weren't many people on his side. And uh, and I hate to say this, but I was one of them, and it was a huge mistake on my part. Uh, the truth is, if, if we could turn the clock back and give Al the due process that he not only deserved, but he had earned in his time in the Senate, I think it would have spoke much better for the people who serve in the Senate and and for the body itself. And okay, well, enough of that. And I no, I, I mean, no. I, I really do regret the fact that a good man, and you are a good man, uh, was put put through hell. And, and and what makes me even feel worse is the family was too. And I feel very very bad for that and remorseful for that. And and uh, just wanted to get that on the record. For sure. I appreciate that. And uh, I've had now 10 former colleagues uh, apologize. And I, you know, I believe in in forgiving people. So, uh, except you. Yeah, except well, you. thanks, Al. <laughs> I, I just can't get it. I can't muster uh, yeah. that. Okay. But by the book... <laughs> <laughs> Grounded uh, Center's Lessons on Winning Back Rural America uh, by John Tester, a great, a great senator uh, from Montana, and uh, hopefully uh, will uh, be welcoming another Democratic senator. And I hope a, a Democratic House member. How's that going? Is that? It's going to be another. They're all going to be close races in Montana, but it's it's going pretty darn well. Uh, she's she's doing a good job, and we'll just find out how who shows up on election day. That's going to make the difference. Okay, if you want to give money to that race, though, my God, because there's a chance that the presidential election will, will go to the House. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's right. And that means each that state I... gets a vote, and yeah. Montana has one House member. Yep. It's a tough job because you've got, you know, you got to run every two years. You got to live in D.C. and you represent the entire state just like a senator does. But Kathleen Williams has done a great job. She's uh, ran a good campaign and uh, and she's going to continue to run a good campaign right up through Election Day. And she's a good person. Classy lady. Cla- Kathleen Williams is her name. As soon as you hear this, send money to Kathleen Williams. You uh, you can contribute to her at uh, KathleenForMontana.com. You spell that out. The four is F-O-R. KathleenForMontana.com. Let's swamp her with some last-minute money. Tell her that she's going to expect some money. Okay, I'll tell her that. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll tell her. Want... I'll send me to tell you. That'll be good. Yeah. And please uh, give my best to Governor Bullock. I will Would do you? that. I will see him next week, and I'll pass that along. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.